Boss Uncaged is a weekly podcast that releases the origin stories of business owners and entrepreneurs as they become uncaged trailblazers. In each episode, our hosts, S.A. Grant and guests construct narrative accounts of their collective business journeys and growth strategies. Learn key success habits and how to stay motivated through failure, all while developing a boss uncaged mindset. Break out of your cage and welcome our host, S.A. Grant. Welcome, welcome back to Boss Uncaged Podcast. So today we have a special guest and I'm going to deem her the shark boss. And she's going to tell us a little bit more about the shark story. And you can kind of see her shark if you're looking at the video in the background. So Stevie Dawn, right? Well, Dr. Stevie Dawn, to be exact, right? Why don't you go ahead and tell our audience a little bit more about who you are and what are we talking about today? Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, hello, everyone. Stevie Dawn Carter here from Mansfield, Texas, just a little south of Fort Worth. Um, you know, my background has been an entrepreneur for as long as I can remember, but then I kept doing corporate jobs at the same time because let's be realistic, like entrepreneurship's never going to work out right. I had all those ideas. Um, so after multiple businesses failed and I was like, fine, I'm not cut out for this. I'm going on, I'm going corporate all the way. Uh, I just ran into a point where I was like, I don't like my life. Right. I don't know if you've ever had that essay where it's just like, I just, I just don't like it. Like, it's not what I wanted. It's not what I had dreamed of. And so my husband being super supportive was like, well, then let's try a business again. And I'm like, really? After we failed so many times, he's like, hey, you never know what that one time is where you're going to succeed. And that was eight years ago. And I haven't looked back. And um, it has been a journey. It has been a roller coaster. But uh, now I'm a professional speaker and coach, and I really help people kind of follow that same journey of realizing that life doesn't have to suck. You're allowed to have dreams and you're allowed to go after them, even if everybody tells you you're crazy. So that's really that's really what I'm here to do now. Nice. Nice. So, I mean, with that, but a professional speaker, I, I think like we have to kind of define that because, I mean, obviously people hear people speaking on stage. I spoke on stages before, but mm-hmm. again, you're, you're a professional in the sense that you do it for a living. Like you do multiple speaking engagements per week sometimes. So let's yeah. talk about like, how did that journey come to pass? Yeah. Well, my last corporate job was college professor. And I always tell people, if you're looking to be a speaker, college professor is a great lane to get in on your way there. Because basically every single time you teach a class, you're speaking. You are up in front of a group of humans trying to impart knowledge. And that's really what speaking is. So for me, that was an easy transition. I taught all the same things. So I was teaching leadership and emotional intelligence at the college level. I just took those same things and brought them into a corporate training space. And that's kind of where my speaking took off. But yeah, there are lots of different kinds of speakers. Um, I say professional speaker in the sense that it makes me 90% of my revenue to support my business comes from speaking, whether that be keynoting at a conference, whether that be doing corporate training sessions for a large corporation, training their leaders, training their staff, whatever that looks like, it's me in front of a group of people imparting knowledge and getting paid for it. So that's why I go with the professional speaker moniker. Nice, nice. And so you've been doing that for, for roughly eight years. Mm-hmm. So like out of all the things that, that you've done, like w- what made that kind of stick? Like how did that really resonate with you to kind of become like your success story? 
Good question. You know, I think at the end of the day, I, I just know that I love being on stage. It really doesn't matter what I'm doing on stage, whether like my husband and I, we have a nonprofit theater company. So whether I'm doing musical theater and singing and dancing on stage, whether I'm speaking on stage, whether I'm teaching, I don't think it really matters. What I love in life is being on stage. And so for me, when I was building this business, lots of people said, well, you can't do it just in speaking. You have to do coaching. You have to do, you have to write a book. You have to make courses, right? You have to do all these other things. But really the the thing is, it's about doing what you love. I love being on stage. So I just made it my goal that I was going to be on stage more than anybody else. And that's really what kind of pushed it in my world to being like my number one thing. And now I do on average 100 to 150 sessions a year. So I am on stage at least two to three times per week, most weeks. And that's what I love. So that works really well for me. I love the travel. I love doing different things. Other people speak 20, 30 times a year, and that's what they want to do. And they love it. So I, I'm a big believer in do what you love. For me, I love the stage. So speaking is a natural thing for me. Wow. So I mean, if the listener is listening, I mean, she just said that she speaks one third of the year, like out of, out of the entire year, she's on the stage. So it's like as much as you sleep, yeah. she's on the stage. Just, uh-huh. to, just uh-huh. to, to, to put that into perspective. Right. So like if you could define yourself in three to five words, what three to five words would you choose? Ooh, um, passionate, uh, energetic, um, I'm going to go with funny. I like to think I'm funny. Now, I'm a big believer in you're only funny if other people laugh at you. So I'm not really sure that I'm funny, but I like to think that I'm funny. So I'm going to go with funny, humorous. Yeah, why not? So the thing with speakers, and today's where we kind of see some speakers kind of diving into like the comedy space, like you said. So have you done any stand-up comedy? That's amazing. Um, I like to think every time I stand on a stage, it could be stand-up comedy. It just depends on how it goes. Uh, no, I haven't done any, but I've done a ton of improv. Okay. So I've done a, a ton of improv theater, which oftentimes is comedy, but not stand-up. I'm not a good joke teller because I miss the punchline all the time. But I'm really good at planting a story and making people laugh while doing it. So I think improv gave me a lot of that, too. And improv is something I recommend to all of my clients who are speakers, go improv because you become such a better speaker mm. when you can roll with the punches because no speaking engagement goes perfectly. That's a fact. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, I mean, so you talked about like your rise and your fall and failed businesses. So let's talk about that for a minute, right? Like in, in a time traveling bubble before you hit the success in the last eight years, like what kind of hurdles or what is the biggest hurdle that you were faced in your first business ventures that you had? Yeah, to- I would say my number one, eh, I'm going to go with two. I'll give you two. Okay. My two biggest failings in all of my businesses up to this one was number one, marketing, because I didn't do it at all. That'll make it so that you don't have a business pretty quick. Um, So marketing is something that I always found difficult. And so I just chose not to do it. (laughs) And at a certain point, you can do a lot through just word of mouth and growth and all of this. But at a certain point, if you're not really pushing marketing to attract people to your business, you're going to fail inevitably. 
So marketing was a big thing. I think the other thing was not treating it like a business. Mm. I think the first couple times I did it, I did it for fun, right? It was, it was a hobby that people, right? And I think this happens to a lot of us. You're good at something and people are like, hey, do you know you can make money at that? And you're like, oh, I guess I could. Maybe I should try that. But, but you're not like a business owner. You're just like, I'm a hobbyist trying to make money at it. And I think I did that in the beginning. All of my businesses were very much based around things I was good at and thought, well, I should be able to make money at my passion, right? Everybody says that. And the truth is I didn't know how to be a business owner. Hmm. So I made decisions based on myself and my own joy. And that's not a problem, but at a certain point you still have to make money. Uh And so inevitably I didn't charge enough. I didn't market. I didn't think about like upsells and what was next for people. And so it just, they all kind of petered out. Like none of them were going to make me enough money to be able to leave corporate world fully because I just was not putting in, I don't think I was putting in the effort. I think, and some of that right age, my first business, I was 17. What did I know? I knew nothing. Right. So I'm like, Hey, I didn't have any life experience. I knew nothing about the business world. So I made lots of poor decisions, spent money where I shouldn't, um, you know, didn't invest in things I probably should have. Right. I did all that. But I think the difference is eight years ago, I was in my thirties. Um, I had a support system. I had a husband and a family that supported the idea. And I knew enough about the business world Mm -hmm. that I needed to treat it as a business. And really for me, the biggest key that had to shift for me in these last eight years was sales, being willing to say, I have to sell people. I have to ask for money. And I remember my first couple of conversations, I would say, you know, Hey, I'd love to come out and speak to you about this. And they'd be like, sure. What do you charge? And I'm like, Oh, um, right. And like no idea what to charge or how to charge. And so you're just throwing out numbers. And then I learned, Hey, I need to know what my, what my value and my worth is. And I need to start charging it. Right. And so now I don't even have to worry about those conversations. Like here are my prices, take it or leave it. This is where I'm at. And it's so much easier as a business owner, once you make sales, your friend and not your enemy. And I think that was something that I really did differently this time. So I would say marketing and being business focused in the beginning, this time, the big hurdle I had to overcome was sales. Got it. Got it. So, I mean, with sales, I mean, that's a phenomenal concept generally, right? I mean, no business would not survive without it. But Mm -hmm. I think like to your point, like trying to figure out the right pricing and obviously like now you've been, you're seasoned, like you're well seasoned, okay? Right? Versus completely green. So there should be a, a significant price difference. Would you agree with that? I do. You know, I do not charge now what I charged then. Um, however, I'm a, big believer, and this is probably a really odd concept to some people, but I'm a big believer in charge a joyful amount. Hmm. Now, let me explain what that means. A joyful amount is the amount of money that gives you joy to accept it for the work. Hmm. Right? So here's the thing. I love to speak. I love to be on stage. We've already talked about that. Hmm. In order for me to speak as often as I do, I cannot be the most expensive. If I were the most expensive, I wouldn't get the bookings. There just aren't enough bookings out there at that level of price tag, right? So I have a coach who charges 20 grand for her to stand on stage. That's incredible. 
I just want to put everybody at ease right now. That is not what I charge. <laughs> that is what she charges, right? But she doesn't want to be on stage every week. She wants to be on stage once a month and make her 100K and not even worry about it, right? Like, that's her her joyful amount is pay me a lot of money because I don't want to do this every day. Hmm. My joyful amount is a lot lower because I do want to do it every day. So I had to kind of figure that out. Like, I started out low. I went to higher. And then I actually came back down, which a lot of people wouldn't do. But it was really because I I wanted to charge what allowed me to get on stage the most. So what's going to bring joy to your life? That's the amount you should be charging. So I charge less for my speaking than I do for my coaching. Why? Because I'd rather be speaking. So let me fill up my calendar with speaking. Coaching is something I do because I love it. It's a heart project, but I don't need to do it every day to feel I need to speak every day. So I think it's important that you learn how to charge that joyful amount for yourself where you're getting to do the work you want to do because you're charging appropriately to get that work. And so that's what I had to figure out. So I kind of went, I started out at 250. I have no problem saying that. I started out 250 bucks for a speaking engagement. I got all the way up to 5,000 and now I'm back at 1500. And at 1500, I can speak as many times as I want during the year. Like it's just an easy number that people pay and it's, it's easy for me to get all the speaking engagements I need. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, I mean, with that, I mean, that's, that's a lot of damn content, right? So I think that's one of the fearful sides of people jumping out to speak. Like they may write this one beautiful speech and then they're like, oh my God, I already said the speech. Can I reuse it again? How many speeches do I really need to have a solid portfolio? So let's Mm -hmm. talk about yours for a second. Like how many speeches do you have and how many speeches do you like usually repeat when you talk to a different audience? Yeah. So I, I advise everybody to have a killer keynote. Right. So one keynote speech, that's your go to that you always put out to people. That's your favorite thing to do. Um, And I probably do that killer keynote, probably a third of my speaking engagements. Right. Anytime I'm speaking at a new place or a new conference or something like that, I'm probably doing that killer keynote. Right. So I do believe you can have one speech that does the majority of your business. Um, After that. Right. That killer keynote. Right. It's all about right now. We're all about content. Right. And we're all about IP. And so my intellectual property is taking that keynote and the the ideas I share with people and then making each of those ideas their own presentation, Uh right? So I can take my keynote, which is about the three areas of unstoppable success. But within those three areas, I have two different keynotes underneath each one, right? So now all of a sudden, instead of just one presentation, I can take that one presentation and break it into really seven to eight presentations, right? And so now when they, cause inevitably what happens is you speak and if you kill it on stage, if you're really good, people are gonna go, what else do you speak on? Mm. And so I have a list. So I have a list of 16 topics that I do throughout the year over and over and over again. And I always tweak them, make them customized to the audience, right? With a few tweaks, but the, the major PowerPoint, the major deck is already set. I've done them so many times. I know exactly what works and what doesn't. And then it's just customizing to the, to the people. Mm. In the beginning, it was a lot of content to create. So I spent my first two to three years just creating content, right? Mm. Like trying out different topics, trying out different ways of those topics, all those kinds of things. Now, 
it's it's pretty routine, right? To a certain extent, I can kind of pull it off the shelf, mm-hmm. plug it in this Friday and go. And I don't I don't really need to adjust it much because I've done it so many times. But I always tell my clients, like, start with a killer keynote and then drop that into your different topic kind of buckets or pillars that you have within your intellectual property. Make those all separate trainings or separate presentations and then go from there right? And expand outwards. So I still do some presentations now that are really from my college days, right? I still do a presentation called Leadership Without a Title, which is just all about how we are all leaders in our lives, whether we have a title or not. It doesn't necessarily fit within my my brand at the same way, um, because my brand is unstoppable success, but leadership is a part of it. So I still do that topic, right? I still do some topics on emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. on communication, some things that were really popular when I started that I've just kept up with and kept as part of my brand, even though my overarching brand has really shifted to unstoppable success and motivation. I still do some of those other things. So so I always tell people, whatever you're good at, whatever you have content in, list it. I give everybody a listing of all these topics I can do, and I let them choose. It's their menu. Nice, nice. So to, to paraphrase that, I mean, I, I love I love what you said. So essentially, to paraphrase what Stevie's talking about, look at a book, right? Your book represents, in this case, your keynote. And every single one of these chapters would be micro keynotes of that larger book. So then you have the one big keynote and then every chapter becomes additional content that you can then step on stage and talk about that isolated topic, which is an ingenious way of building and developing content. And go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, exactly. You you just nailed it, right? It's like a book. So like, here's my new book, right? This is the new book I just published in February. Here are the nine chapters. Those are my nine presentations that I do all the time. Nice. Right? Exactly. It's such a good way to do it. Yeah. Such a good way to do it. By the way, if you are a speaker and you're looking to write a book, that's how I wrote the book. Mm. Right? I took I took my speaking presentations, mm. right? I recorded them, audio recorded me doing them or what video recorded whatever, had them transcribed and made my book that way. Mm. So, it goes both directions of that, but you're so right. That's a great way to look at it, right? It's like you have the title of the book and then you have these chapters and all of those can be presentations. So good. Wow. Wow. So let's just talk about like, like you as, and I, I, I like to time travel when, when I have these conversations, right? So obviously like you're, you're influencer at this point in time, you're talking to audiences, you're giving information to help people, help entrepreneurs, help business owners on their, on their journey. But, you know, kind of going back to you as a kid, like what kind of household did you grow up in? Like were both your parents entrepreneurs? Where are you getting this entrepreneurial spirit from? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. So, um, I was a rock star kid. Right. So I grew up with parents who were both uh, performers. They were in a Fleetwood Mac cover band, which is why I'm named Stevie, Um, because my mom was playing Stevie Nicks when she got pregnant. So, um, right, I I grew up in a household full of music, Mm -hmm. full of entertainment, full of performance, also full of people. Right. There was this element of we were going I went with my parents to performances to see them play and all this. So I. As a kid, I got a love of the stage really early, and it's partially genetic. So I accept that, right? That that was my upbringing. From an entrepreneurial standpoint, I think the person I always kind of looked 
looked at in that was my dad. Not that he was an entrepreneur as a kid, because he wasn't, but he was always looking for, he was always doing different jobs, trying out different careers, mostly because music was his passion mm -hmm. and it didn't pay all the bills. So he always had these side jobs that he would do. And so I saw him doing that because he had this passion that he loved. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really where the entrepreneurial spirit for me came because it was, so here's this passion that you love. Sometimes you're going to have to work some other jobs to pay the bills, but go after that passion. My father has been playing music. He's been, I, I think he's about to turn 70. My father has been playing music for 50 years. Wow professionally getting paid to play music for 50 years. I don't know many people who chase their dream for that long, huh. right? Like he's still now playing in bands. He's recorded albums during pandemic. That was his thing. He recorded albums. Like he's, he is still chasing that dream. Uh -huh. And I think that really did like have an impact on me because I always sought to chase my dreams and was always okay with, but you know, if I have to have this side gig in retail, or if I have to have this little corporate job to keep paying bills, that's okay. I'm doing my dream, right? I'm living the dream. I'm going for it. Um, entrepreneurship was never really a part of our family until um, my mom and my stepdad uh, started a business, gosh, um, 20 years ago now. And they opened a used bookstore and tea shop. And uh, they went, they wanted mid, like small town America life. That's what they decided. They had had enough of the corporate world. They wanted small town America life. They found this little small town in the middle of Kansas. And they were like, let's go open a bookstore and tea shop. And I was at a point in my life where I had been traveling around doing a lot of different things, but needed like a soft place to land. So they let me come back home and that's where they were. And so I got to see them do that, even though it failed and they ended up closing it and going back to corporate work. Um, I think that was another place where I got to see it though, see that dream and go, I think this is cool. I think we could do this. They were also the first, my first investors when I opened my, uh, my second business, mm. they invested in my dance studio and were, were silent investors in that, which was cool too. So we did that as a family. So yeah, I think it's just kind of been always in my life in different ways, but um, definitely the performance side from my dad and then later in life, the entrepreneur stuff. Well, I mean, just listen to you tell these two different stories, and, and I see the commonality between you and your dad to the extreme, right? I mean, again, mm -hmm. your dad loves being on the stage. You love being on the stage. Your dad is a performer. Technically speaking, you are pretty much performing Absolutely. on stage. He's Every getting day. paid to play, and you're getting paid to perform. So I yeah. definitely see the correlation between you and your dad, and you're following his footsteps. It's just that you're not doing music. You're essentially not doing stand-up, but you're, you're, you're in front of people entertaining them to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's something that, um, you know, my parents got divorced when I was younger, so I didn't actually always spend a lot of time with my father, but it is interesting now, like later in life to see the true impact he had on my life though, mm -hmm. in that way, right. Whether, whether we spent a lot of time together or not, um, his, his desire for that thing was passed on to me. In, in all the ways. And so, yes, when we get together, all it is is both of us fighting for center of attention and it's great and wonderful. And oftentimes if he's playing, I get up and sing on stage with him and we have that connection, which is really cool. Yeah. Very, very cool. So let's yeah. just talk back about, about your content. I mean, earlier on you were talking about 
Um, usually when people talk on stages, they're, they're trying to create books, they're trying to create courses and, you know, you're talking essentially one third of the year, you know, I made that facetious joke earlier today. Right. So like how much content are you recycling and reusing as far as like behind a paid wall? I mean, obviously you have an abundance of content. Is that thing being recycled in courses or academies? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't do, um, I have done courses, um, and membership sites in the past. Now I do a lot of that content recycled in my group coaching programs. Um, so I have a group coaching program that's called unstoppable success. It's a six month program and it's based on the book. It's based on those content pillars that I have. And so that content is recycled, right? I don't do anything new except show up to the coaching calls, which is great. Um, so I just get to love on the people and help the people, but all of the videos, all of the workbooks, all that stuff already created. Um, I also recycle a lot of content through my live events. So I like to do um, big live events. We have our big two-day event in March. Um, throughout the year, we do little one-day events or half-day events. And that's all, again, content that I've already done. It's just packaged differently. So I think really realistically, I maybe create absolutely new content once or twice a year. The rest of the year, it's just recycling things I've done before. I'll put a new spin on it. I always like to change up my stories or change up the look and feel of something. But the the base content has been there for a long time. And so it really is recycling. And I, and I think that people need to, I, I know in the beginning, I was scared to recycle because I thought like people would know and, and nobody knows. I will have people who come to my session. I just had this happen actually. She has been in the exact same session. It's called Understanding Emotional Intelligence. I've been doing it for years. She has probably heard it six times, seven times. I mean, she's heard it a lot. She, she came up to me this last time and she goes, I still get different pieces every time. And I'm like, it, it's the exact same thing that it's been, right? But sometimes we have to remember just because we're saying the same thing, the person sitting in front of us is not in the same point in their life. So they hear something different, even if we're saying the same thing. So I, I really learned that. I was glad I learned that early on, probably about year three, I stopped always creating new and um, it's been great. And I love recycling. I think it's great. Yeah, I think that that's a hell of a takeaway for anyone that's, that's looking to get into this space of speaking to realize that, I mean, think of it, I mean, in the world where we're closing in on billions and billions and billions of people. And the reality is in the US, there's only 300 million people. So really, how many people are you really communicating with on a regular basis? How many people are really going to hear your message over and over again? So again, you can say the same messaging to the to your point to the same audience three or four times. But based upon where they are in their life, they may hear uniquely different things, or they may hone in on that one message in the middle versus the end this time around. Yeah, yeah, it's so it's so interesting how human brains work, right? We we can't nobody takes in everything that you say. Even if they take notes and they're like really in it, they don't take in everything that they say. They get one or two pieces. And within 60 minutes, you probably have, you know, 10, 15 one or two pieces, right? So they get one or two each time. They could see that same presentation 10 times and still find it valuable. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that, that speakers have to remember, great speakers are not about great content. Mm -hmm. Great speakers are great performers, right? People come to see the Stevie show. I don't know that they always care what my topic is. I don't know that they really want think my topic applies to their life. They come because they want to see me because it's an experience. And I think as speakers, we got to be careful 
about not relying so heavily on our content. Yes, the content has to be good and it has to be there, but you have to sell it. You, you got to put on the show that people want to come to see. And I think sometimes as a speaker, it can get easy to get lost in the content mm -hmm. and forget that the real reason they're there is you. Mm -hmm. it, it's not the content, right? Maybe the first time they came to hear you, it was because of your quote unquote topic. But the second time they come to hear you, the third time they come to hear you, they don't care about the topic. They're coming for you. Mm -hmm. So how are you putting your whole self, right? Out there, out front doing that. I practice my performance way more than I worry about my content. Hmm. And, and that's another piece of it that I think people have to understand going in. Yeah, I think that that's that's a hell of an insightful tidbit. I mean, looking at Tony Robbins as as a key mark in speaking. Yeah. To your point, I mean, you're coming for not the entertainment, but you're coming for the experience. Yeah, yeah. People go because it's Tony, right? I mean, there are multiple people who I can ask them. So, what did you learn at Unleash the Power Within? And they can't actually tell me a golden nugget. All they can say is, "Well, we had this. I walked on fire." <laughs> Cool, but you were there for four days, right? But what's your takeaway? Your takeaway was, well, it was Tony and he was larger than life and he was bigger and there were dance parties and there was all this stuff. That's great, right? That's actually more important than the content, right? I've gone to a lot of Tony events. I love Tony. Um, it's, it's the same content. He's been doing the same content for the last several years. Mm. So if you go and then you go again, I'm hearing the exact same thing, but why do I keep going? Because it's Tony. It's an experience. It's an event. That's why I go, right? And as a business owner, right? If we make working with us an experience and an event, people will keep coming back. And I don't think that's just speakers. I think that's everybody. If you make working with you an experience, an event, something they want to go tell people about, They'll keep coming back and you have the same content all day long. Hmm. Makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. So let's just talk about like, like your, your family life for a minute. Now, obviously you're, you're married, but again, okay. you're gone a third of the year. So like, how do you currently juggle like your work life with your family life? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that definitely is, uh, a thing. <laughs> It's a thing. Um, so my husband, most supportive human on the planet. So number one, he is so supportive and so easy going about it all, which is great. Um, on the travel, we always say, I'm not traveling for fun. I'm traveling for work. So I fly in, I speak, I fly out. I really don't do the whole, oh, let me, I'm going, like I'm telling, I'm going to Phoenix this weekend. Um, Phoenix is a cool place. I would like to go to Phoenix and hang out. But unless he's coming with me, I don't do that. Mm. I respect the fact that it is business. It is not a joy trip, right? And so I fly in Sunday night. I speak first thing Monday morning. I fly out Monday afternoon. Not doing anything in Phoenix. I'm not seeing Phoenix because our deal as a couple is if I'm going to go hang and spend time, he should be with me. Mm. That's not something I do by myself. So we've been able to make it work because I just, I'm not gone for long. I am the queen of the overnight trip, right? I fly in, I speak, I fly out some days. I've even done it all in one day. I don't even stay overnight. I fly in the morning. I speak at lunch. I fly out that evening. Like I'm not even gone. So we try really hard to respect that and make sure that I'm not gone for multiple nights in a row, right? So I'll be gone to like, I'm going to Phoenix. So I'll be gone Sunday night right? I get home Monday night. I'm gone again Friday night, 
right? So I have a couple days in between. I try really hard not to do back-to-backs. Um, and then our big thing is when we are together, we have a very full life of together activities that don't involve business, right? So we own a nonprofit theater company. So we do theater together four nights a week. We have people at our house going through rehearsals, doing the stuff. And that's something we do 100% together. Um, We also make sure when we go to dinner, uh, when we go out and run errands, like it's about us time and it's quality time. We try and be 100% present. I'm a big believer in just because they can email me on the weekends doesn't mean I need to respond. Um, so I'm, I'm really good at setting that boundary and I don't answer work emails at night or on the weekends. I'm 100% home for my family. It's just my husband and I, we don't have any kids. Um, so for us, that makes it work. My husband also works from home for a different company. Um, and so we do have a little bit of freedom in that we can have lunches together and we take advantage of that a lot, especially when I'm traveling. Um, you know, Hey, do we both have lunch? cool, let's go out. So we'll like go out and have like a big lunch, whereas other people would do it at dinner, but it's mostly because I'm traveling. Um, So we just fit in our time when we can. And every Sunday night, we have a family meeting. And this is something I tell all my clients to do. uh, Family meeting every Sunday night where we go over the schedule for the week and we plan when we're going to be together so that we know we have time together every single week. Um, And that's something we've been doing for years. And that really keeps us grounded and keeps us together. But I think it's really the the being together and being intentional. It's the Sunday meetings. And it's the when I travel for business, I I don't make it a fun trip. I make it a business trip. Got it. Got it. Got it. Very informative. Very informative. So, I mean, with that, I mean, like, with your schedule, like you say, you're flying on Sunday, you may fly out on Fridays. So technically, you know, you're looking at Tuesday through Thursday, like what is your usual morning routines when you're, when you are at home? Yeah. So I love being a speaker because my day is so easygoing. Um, cause there are no speaker emergencies. Right? <laughs> There's never like a speaker emergency, a training emergency. There's never anything. And my coaching, yes, some of my coaching clients can have a 911 problem, like, oh my God, I'm dealing with this with my boss and I don't know what to say and they can call me, but that's rare. So for me, most mornings I'm up, my husband and I usually get up between five and six in the morning and we work out. Um, So we do that, we get showered, we get ready. We start our day early, we're early people. So I am usually at my computer getting business work done before eight o'clock. And I work pretty, I'm in a good energetic space till about noon. Once I go to lunch, I'm pretty much thrown for the rest of the day. Like I am just not an afternoon person. In the evening, I'll get a burst of energy, but in the afternoon, I don't. So what I tend to do is I tend to schedule all my creative work, all my things that take my brain and my energy in the morning. And then afternoons, I'll do... Um, coffee meetings with people where I'm just chatting, where it's super laid back networking. Um, I'll do coaching calls with my clients because they give me energy. And so I can just kind of be a little bit lower and they're fine with that. Um, But I always try and schedule speaking engagements for morning or lunchtime. I try really hard not to speak in the afternoons. Um, And that kind of gives me that ability to have that energy in the morning and then kind of a lower, a lower day the rest of the day. And there are many days where my day ends at one o'clock in the afternoon. And I have nothing else the rest of the day. Um, So I'm also a big believer in systems and process. 
So I have a lot of systems and processes that make my business run so that I don't have to do it. Um, and that helps a lot because then I can just travel. And like when I'm traveling, I don't have to take any calls. Mm -hmm. I don't have to do anything. When I'm traveling, I'm out and I just go, I do the things, I hang out, I watch a lot of Netflix on the road. Um, and so it makes it really, really easy for me because I'm not um, busy every hour of the day. I, I really do block my time. Got it. I mean, that makes perfect sense. So that, that kind of leads me into like another question. And it's, it's obviously doctor, right? You have the right. doctor title, right? So <laughs> I like, do. let's, let's, let's talk about that for a minute, right? So again, like, is that yeah. something that helps you get speaking engagement? Is that something that you wanted to pursue because of speaking? Like, what's the whole story behind uh, becoming a doctor? Yeah, so um, it comes back from, I was working in higher education, I was working at the college. And when you work in higher education, they respect you more if you have a PhD. That's just kind of the way of the world. And so friends of mine were like, you should get, I already have my master's and that's how I was teaching. Um, they were like, you should get your PhD. You should get your PhD. Um, and so I, I, I went for it and I went for a PhD in leadership because I thought leadership was interesting. Um, it wasn't what I had studied in college before that. Mm -hmm. uh, I have degrees in all different areas. Um, but I thought a PhD in leadership, because leadership was interesting. And I was like, if I'm going to have to write about it and research it, I find this topic interesting. So I'll do that. And then it was about three years into my uh, PhD program, which was a five-year program. It was about three years in that Matt and I started talking about, do I really want to stay in higher education? <laughs> do I really want this life? Um, and it was at the end, right? I got my, I got my PhD. And I had a conversation with a mentor and he was like, look, you have your PhD. You are now way over. I was in a position that only required a bachelor's. So I had a master's already. <laughs> now I had a PhD. He's like, you're in a position that this you're super overqualified. He goes, so I'm never going to be able to pay you enough mm -hmm. to pay back your student loans. That's just, if this is, this is an institution and this is how it works. You probably need to go find a job elsewhere. And it was in looking for a job elsewhere that I realized I really didn't want to do this work anymore. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't want to be stuck in the higher education, hierarchy institution thing. I just didn't want to do it anymore. And that's what made me really think about stepping out of my own and doing something different. So I think the, the reason I got the PhD was for a very different career path than I'm on. Um, the reason I put doctor at the front of my name mm -hmm. is so that the people that I do meet with now, it does give me an extra level of authority and credibility. And it does open doors as a speaker that people are like, oh, you're an academic. Oh, you've done research. Now, in the end, right, that research I did is 10 years ago. And it's not research I'm still doing, right? But it does give that little bit of extra credibility that I do think opens some doors, which is why I put doctor at the front mm -hmm. so that they see it first. Um, but do I think it's needed or necessary for anybody? No, I don't think so. I think I could have the exact same career without it. Um, it was something I got for a different point in my life. And it just so happened that I had it right at the end. And so now I still use it to my advantage, but um, definitely not something I think anybody needs, but it, uh, it did definitely open some doors, especially in the beginning when I was new and nobody knew who I was. I didn't have a following. Um, being able to say that I was a doctor definitely got me in some rooms that it probably, I probably wouldn't have gotten in without. 
Nice. Yeah. So let, let's continue on on that path. So leveraging the the credibility of being an academic and being the doctor, what books you know in your early days kind of helped you to get to where you are currently right now? Yeah. Um, let's think. Uh, you know, I was a big. When I first started my business, one of the first books somebody turned me on to was Traction and Get a Grip. Um, And that EOS system really helped me to see my life as a business, right? How was I going to make this a business? So I recommend those books heavily. Um, On the leadership side and kind of the communication side and all of that, um, Emotional Intelligence 2.0. Uh, is a great book all about just how emotions influence our conversations. And that was what I actually studied in my dissertation research. And I do use that, right? I think that has helped me with sales. I think that has helped me with speaking. I think it has helped me with everything. So I do use that. And um, that's a good book that I recommend, Emotional Intelligence 2.0. And then um, really one of the biggest, like, life-changing books for me as a business owner was... um, I keep, I always get it wrong. If it's, yeah, I think it's big magic. I always put an extra word in there that isn't there. It's big magic. Elizabeth Gilbert. She wrote eat, pray, love. I'm not an eat, pray, love fan. Um, but big magic is all about how to allow creativity into your life. And for me, that really opened my mind to think about what I could be as a business owner. Um, even though it's not a business book, it's like just a self-development book. Um, but that was really big. I got turned on to that about year four of my business. And that really kind of just impacted how I structure my business and how I do my creative time when I do create content or posts or any of that. It just really changed it for me and gave me a different framework to work from, which I really love. Um, so those are some books that kind of directed me in this in this sphere. Um, I was never big into, you know, I didn't read a lot of speaking books um, there are some great ones out there, but that was never my thing. Uh, my number one investment has always been coaching. Um, I invest in coaches because I believe somebody who wants to get their hands in your business and help you move it forward is always the best, the best I can get in terms of advice. So since year one, I've always invested in coaches mm-hmm. and that has really been, I think the, what has allowed me to up level all the time. So let's just play devil's advocate, right? Let's say you're coaching yourself, right? Yeah. You're having this conversation with Stevie today and saying, okay, Stevie, where do you want to see yourself 20 years from now? Yeah. 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 What are you going to direct yourself in saying? Um, I think for where I want to go in the future, um, my coach would tell me, or I would tell myself, right. Uh, need to be focusing a lot more on an overarching marketing plan that brings all of your different systems and processes together, right? I know that right now I have social media, I have um, prospecting, I have like some separate entities. And I know that for us to reach the levels we want to reach as a business, I need a, a marketing strategist that kind of looks at all of it and pulls it all together. Um, I need to, one of the things that I want to be able to add to my kind of life, if you will, is um, that idea of some kind of passive 
uh, product, right? So I've tried some in the past. They've just never been my thing. I think I have all the content necessary. What I really need is somebody to take it, market it, promote it, do the things. Because again, marketing is still my number one issue as a business owner. And I, I just freely admit that. And so I try and hire people to help me. Um, because I'm, I want to be out there and be doing what I love. I don't always love having to think about how many times do I have to talk about it on social media? How many Facebook lives do I need to do? I don't like doing that kind of stuff. So I think for me to grow in my business, what I would be telling myself is you need to hire a marketing strategist. You need to focus on a passive product and you really need to look at how do you scale by getting more coaches. So one of the things we just started this year was a coaching mentorship program. So bringing in some people who want to be coaches and, but aren't sure they want to do it on their own, right? They don't want to be an entrepreneur necessarily, but they want to be a coach. And my program is growing to the point that I could use some extra help in the coaching area. And so could I bring them in, train them in my method of coaching and then allow them to coach under my umbrella. And so that's something we've just started this year. We've just kind of kicked it off. So I don't know where that's going, but I do think that's our scale factor going forward because speaking wise, it's always going to be me. I love the speaking. I'm not getting out of that. But coaching wise, we could scale if we had additional coaches. So, I mean, obviously you're speaking to, I mean, I love branding and marketing and that, that's my thing, right? So with that question, like it leads me to the next question. And like you kind of defined your avatar to a certain extent, but ideally mm -hmm. it seems like you have multiple different avatars. So my next question is which one of the multiple avatars is essentially your bread and butter outside of your speaking avatars? Yeah. So I'm a big believer in, um, and you're allowed to have different audiences, right? I think that's okay. Um, but I do think that I like when they tie together in some way. So in my speaking, the majority of people I speak to are corporate people, corporate professionals, most who are trying to better their situation, whether that be promoting themselves or some starting businesses, right? But it's, it's people who are in the corporate space saying, I want more out of life. That's my avatar. That's the person that I do the most work with. So everything I do from a speaking realm is to get those people to connect and then come into my self self-development funnel, right? So, so corporate pays for my speaking, but they come and pay for the coaching. Right. So that's my avatar for the coaching programs. And that's what I'm looking to have. Do I have coaching clients that are entrepreneurs and speakers? Absolutely. And I think any successful business owner, you will always have some people who want to follow in your footsteps. Mm -hmm. And I think that's great. And I have coaching programs for them, but that's not a group that I speak to or really market to a lot. I think that's untapped potential. Um, but that's something where that's not where I put the focus, right? So my bread and butter are people who are in a corporate situation who are saying, I want more, whether that be, I want to climb the corporate ladder. I want out of corporate. I'm retiring and I don't know what's next. Any of those people who are in that moment in life, those are really where I make my biggest impact. Okay. So let's continue on this, this journey, right? And you're communicating yeah. to this person, right? This person is listening to this podcast right now. What words of wisdom would you like to deliver to them to kind of help them understand that where they are is not where they're going to be and they can get to their final destination? I think the number one thing I would tell to anybody is stop living according to other people's expectations for you. 
right? A society gives us a list, right? Here's what you need to be successful. You need to have this kind of job. You need to have this kind of health benefits. You need to have this kind of house and this kind of car and da, 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 right? And society puts that out there in everything. We see it. We're bombarded with it every day. The truth of the matter is we're all unique individuals and what makes you happy is not going to make me happy. And that's okay. That's what makes being human amazing. It's because we're not all the same. So Anybody who's sitting in that place in their life where they're like, this doesn't feel right. And I I just don't know what's next. My number one thing is let go of the expectations other people have put on you and start painting your own picture. What do you want? Even if it sounds crazy, even if it sounds ridiculous, you still got to identify it. As adults, we stop dreaming. We stop thinking about what's possible, right? Because we become stuck in what's practical. What's going to make me money? What's going to get my bills paid? But at the end of the day, life is not about the bills that you paid. It's not. That's not what you're going to write on your tombstone. They paid bills. Great. That's not what I want, right? So what I want on my tombstone is they lived a life, right? Whether that's ride or die, amazing experiences, they laugh, they impacted people. I don't care what it is. But it's probably not about paying bills and it's probably not about being sensible. That's not what we want to be remembered for. So I think if you're in this place where you're like, I just don't feel right. This isn't enough. I don't know what's next. Release yourself from the expectations of others and start dreaming of what you would want again. And you'd be amazed how many of us as adults can't remember the last time we sat down and allowed ourselves to dream. And once you do that, you realize you have dreams. I do believe every single human has dreams. They just have put on the back burner for so long, right? Because I'm taking care of my kids. I'm taking care of my family. I'm paying those bills. I'm doing these things. And so my dreams get put back here. And I say, I'm not going to touch them right now. Okay. But at what point in time are you picking those back up? Because let me tell you, if you wait till you retire and you're in your 60s or 70s, that dream of horseback riding is probably a little bit harder than it would be if you started doing it in your 30s. And if you can afford to take your kids to softball camp, you can afford to take yourself to horseback riding camp. That's it. We put everybody else before ourselves as adults and we have to stop. It's not healthy and it's not teaching the people in our life that they need to put themselves first. Mm -hmm. It's telling them, don't worry about putting yourself first. I'll put you first. I'll take care of it, honey. No, I, I would want my kids. If I had kids, I don't have kids, but if I had kids, I would want them to stand up and go, mom, I want to do this for me. This is important. Great. I want you to have that advocacy. But they're only going to have it if we show them the way. So I ask my parents all the time, like the parents I coach, I'm like, hey, are you telling your kids how to advocate for themselves? Because are you advocating for yourself? And I, I, that's my thing. We got to get shifted as adults into having dreams and going after them, because that actually sets a way better precedent for our kid than just going to work and coming home, going to work and coming home. Nice. Nice. So, I mean, when I asked you that question, I could see, like, I don't know if you remember earlier in this conversation, Stevie had reached out to this imaginary bookcase of all her content, right? And in that moment, when I asked that question, she grabbed that book off the damn shelf, opened it up and turned to page 65, right? And she just went at it. Like, it was instant. It was like, like, it was beautiful. I mean, it was like, you just took that from the script of your heart and you just went with it. But again, that goes back to you being a professional speaker. You, when that question was asked, you just pulled into your database and you went with it. And I appreciate that. Yeah. And that's, you know, and that's what I think 
speaking gives you. And by the way, whether you're speaking on stage or speaking on podcasts or speaking on radio shows or TV shows, it, it doesn't it doesn't matter. If you are opening your mouth and delivering a message, you are a speaker, no matter what. And I think that the more you do it, mm-hmm. the easier it gets to have those kind of answers that just come from your heart and your soul and you don't plan them, but they just come out, yep. right? They come out because I've done it enough that I know what those instinctual answers are. And I think a lot of times as newer, um, either business owners or newer professionals, we're not spending the time getting to know ourselves enough to know that content. So that when you do get asked that question, you're, you're ready for it, right? You're able to answer it. And are we putting ourselves out there enough to get the practice? right? Podcast interviews are a great way to learn about your own content and your own self, mm-hmm. because you will be asked questions that you don't already know the answers to. And it's amazing to hear what comes out. Yeah, that, that's 100% fact. So I mean, with that type of answer, with that level of motivation and passion, the next question is, how do people get in contact? with you? How do they find you? Yes, 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 yes. Well, uh, drstevedon.com, because don't forget the doctor always goes in front. Um, drstevedon.com is my website. You can find everything there, the events, the webinars, all the free stuff is there. Um, follow me on social. Well, I do have a social media manager, so she's in charge of posting all my stuff because I don't want to deal with that. Um, I live on social media because I just like it. So I am on there. I am responding, answering messages all day long. That's always absolutely me. So please connect with me on social media. Everything is at Dr. Stevie Don. So whether that's Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, all the things. Um, and I would just love to connect and here's hear what's going on in your life. I love people sharing their story. So share your story with me. Let's connect. Nice, nice. So that leads us into the bonus round. I got a couple of bonus questions for you. Okay. Right? So the like first bonus question kind of goes back into like the first five minutes of this conversation about you being the shark boss. And if uh, anybody's looking at the video, you can kind of see the water in the background. You can kind of see her riding a shark in the picture. Her book cover has a shark. There's a wooden plaque with a shark. So what the hell is the story behind the shark? <laughs> yeah. Uh, let me see if I can make a long story short. Um, so I was at a point in my life where things were not going well for me. I was comparing myself to a lot of other people. I wasn't moving forward. They were, I was jealous, right? All the things. And I called my mom, which is something that I just do when I'm in a bad spot. I call my mama, right? So I call my mom and we're having this conversation. And my mom has this way of saying the most random weird things that turn into absolute life-changing ideas, right? And that's just who she is. I don't know where she gets it from, but it's just who she is. So I'm talking to her about all these things. And she's like, well, What do those people have that you don't have? And I can list off all the reasons they're more successful than me, right? They're younger, they're prettier, all the things. And she's like, I don't think that's it. She goes, I think the truth is you're trying to prove you belong and they already know they belong. You need to go out there and be the shark. You know, when a shark's out in that water, it's not trying to prove itself to anybody. It already knows it's a fucking shark. And my mother didn't say that word, by the way, but I do. Uh, It's a shark and it's doing its thing, right? It is owning its ocean. I think you just need to go out there and be the shark. 
Mm. At this moment in time, I am absolutely deathly terrified of sharks, mostly because my parents took me to see Jaws when I was like four year old in the theater with the 3D one that popped out at us. Okay, no, right? Bad parenting 101. Do not take your kids to see that movie. Um, so I was terrified of sharks. So why my mother said, be the shark in this moment, I have no idea. And she tells me that the only thing she can remember is at the time she had on the sci-fi channel and they were showing weird shark movies. So maybe it was just in her mind at that moment but there was like nothing about sharks in our life nothing that but she said it hmm. and it changed my life wow i kept hearing it in my head be the shark be the shark be the shark and it made me stand up for myself it made me believe in myself it made me do all these things and it did shift my life perspective greatly and so it became my life motto right my mantra that i say to myself be the shark be the shark be the shark to the point that I decided to face my fears and I've now gone swimming with sharks. I love sharks. Uh, I've gone cage diving with sharks, um, all the things because they have become kind of my, my spirit animal, my, my Patronus, right. Of just, I want to embody what a shark is in life because sharks know that they own their ocean. They don't let anything rub them the wrong way. They are the apex predator and they are 100% okay with it. And I want to be that in my life. And so they gave, they give me that, um, that feeling, that confidence, that belonging, and that's really important. So sharks became my life at that moment. Well, from the shark boss herself, it makes perfect sense, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, another question for you, and this is like my signature question. Um, if you could spend 24 hours with anyone dead or alive, uninterrupted for those 24 hours, who would it be and why? <laughs> Uh, it's a tough one. I mean, instinctively, I'm thinking about one of my best friends who died two years ago, pretty suddenly. And he was somebody who'd been a mentor in my life, but we had never spent a ton of time together. It was always like a meal here, mm -hmm. a phone call there, a moment here. We never really had, like you said, like uninterrupted time together. And he lived this incredible life. He came from Puerto Rico. He was a professional dancer. He did all these amazing things in his life. And I would have, I've learned more now after he passed. And how sad is that? That I've learned more now about his life after he passed than I knew when he was alive. And so I think if I had that opportunity, I would just love to sit with him for 24 hours and have him tell me the story of his life. Cause I think there were so many lessons and goodness in it that I didn't even get to experience when he was alive and didn't get to hear his version right now. We're seeing videos and photos and stories from others, but I would have loved his perspective mm -hmm. on his life and kind of how he kind of overcame a lot in his life to, to be the, the superstar that he was and somebody who followed his passion wow. the entire time as a, from a little boy on. And I would have loved to know how that felt for him when he died, he was in his fifties. So um, still young, but had lived some life. And I, I would just love to hear his telling of that now. Wow. Wow. That's definitely yeah. inspirational for sure. Just thinking about that. Yeah. So going into to closing, I always have opportunity to interview great people like you. And in this journey of this conversation, I realized that maybe you may have some questions for me. So I'm going to make you the host of Boston Cage. The microphone yeah. is yours. What questions do you have for me? 
Yeah, you know, I think um, even though I know we've we've talked before, and I know that I've seen you, I've seen you speak on stage. I don't know that I know your story of how you got to this. So what led you to become Boss Uncaged? What was your journey? Um, to summarize my journey, it, I think the climax of my journey, and I'm just gonna like cut to the the point of the eruption is when I had my stroke in 2018. And that was the moment of uh, wake. Uh, the fact that I woke up in the hospital and that I had an opportunity to continue my life. I was like, something needs to change. Originally, I was working myself to death and I had the intuition of work 20 hours, work 22 hours, make shit happen, do it at all costs. And in reality, I was like, okay, even if I did do that and I did make some hell of successful achievements in that, what was the message going back to what you were saying that like, would you leave for your kid? And I was essentially teaching my kid to work himself to death. So my wife now, who was my girlfriend at the time, I said, it's time for me to rebrand myself and step in front of the camera and do things a little bit differently. And that was the dawn of me rebranding myself to S.A. Grant and coming up with the boss and cage, which symbolically means that I was breaking out of my universal cage that I was in and I had a new release on life. And now I'm going to help other entrepreneurs and my kids and other kids on the journey to realize that to be a boss, essentially, you're going to have to think differently. You have to think outside the box. You have to be uniquely different. You have to manage your time different. But again, you shouldn't be captured. You should be free. Ah, oh, I love that. That's beautiful. I did not know that. I did not know that. That's beautiful. And that makes so much sense. And I love this idea of, you know, um, something we talked about earlier, this idea of just it's not just about teaching your clients, right? It's about showing that example to your children and to the other kids, you know, on the block or whatever, the kids that you get to inspire and motivate. Are there things that, I guess, what would be something you would tell a child now based on all the lessons that you've learned? If you had one opportunity to tell a child one golden nugget of goodness for their lives, what would you choose to say? I would say, ironically enough, the things that you are particularly ashamed of right now or things that you particularly want to hold in the closet because you may be embarrassed with, essentially, that's going to be your ticket to success down the road. Whatever that is that, prime example, you could be a nerdy kid that knows really well about computers, but you don't want to showcase it because you think you're going to be made fun of, right? You could be a great dancer, but you're a male. And you don't want to come out to, you know, you, you should be the football player, but essentially you want to be a dancer. But again, why hold these gifts back? And if you feed into those gifts, then eventually everyone that may be making fun of you right now is going to be following you on social media or asking you for money or asking you for advice down the road. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So good. So good. That's awesome. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. It's good to it's good to have the opportunity to ask questions. I never get to do that on these. So I appreciate you. Yeah, well, I appreciate you being here. And, and I think it was a hell of a journey. Uh, just, just hearing your story and your energy. And, and again, like I saved the shark bit for last, because I was just kind of like, I didn't know the story. So now that I know it, like when every time I see the shark thing, the first thing I'm going to visualize is your mom. And I guess if she doesn't have a shark T-shirt, she needs to have a, I, I made a shark. I gave birth to a shark t-shirt is what I, I would think. Yes, she definitely needs that. That needs to be her Mother's Day gift this year, I think. I, I think we need to do the ultimate mama shark because a lot of my clients call me mama shark, but the truth is she is mama shark and we need to make sure to give her that reverence. I, I think that's a great idea. <laughs> cool, cool. Well, I definitely appreciate you on being on the show today for sure. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure and just thank you for giving me space and making time. I appreciate it. 
great. S.A. Grant, over and out. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Boss Uncaged. I hope you got some helpful insight and clarity to the diverse approach on your journey to becoming an Uncaged Trailblazer. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. If this podcast has helped you or you have any additional questions, reach out and let me know. Email me at ask at sagrant.com or drop me your thoughts via a call or text at 762-233-BOSS. That's 762-233-2677. I would love to hear from you. Remember, to become a boss in cage, you have to release your inner beast. S.A. Grant, signing off. Listeners of Boss Uncaged are invited to download a free copy of our host, S.A. Grant's insightful ebook, Become an Uncaged Trailblazer. Learn how to release your primal success in 15 minutes a day. Download now at www.bossuncaged.com forward slash free book.